So like I mentioned in the prayer, uh, in our brief time today, I figured we'd talk about forgiveness. Um, It doesn't matter how well you know the topic of forgiveness or maybe how well you don't know it. It is, at least in my life, always a difficult thing to practice because it's not like, oh, I forgive you and we're good. It's oftentimes I forgive you and then I got to forgive someone else and I'm upset by something. It seems like we're always, as we're dealing with people, we tend to always kind of get hurt by people. Um, and so it's a, it's a great topic to know, but it's a great topic to continually come back and refresh on. So um, I think forgiveness is difficult. Um, it's like being in a, between a rock and a hard place. The rock is God who's commanded us to forgive. So we have the command to forgive each other. So that's a tough place. But then on the other side is oftentimes I don't want to. It's not fair. They shouldn't get away with that. They shouldn't have the right to say that or vice versa. So if I don't forgive, now I'm hurting God because I'm offending his command, right? And so we need to forgive, but oftentimes it is hard. Um, We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to zone in, like zero in on 432, but really we're going to look at a greater context here in a minute. While you turn there, I'm going to open with an illustration that's intimate, personal, and a little gross. Uh, Broken toenails is what I titled this. Um, So, years ago, I walked out of my bedroom, off the carpet, onto the tile floor, and my toenail broke. And you're like, that's pretty gross. And what you need to know is, my leg doesn't bend, and I walk on, like, my toe. And so my, my other toes on the side have curled in over the years. And so when those toenails get long, they kind of break. Uh, and so my wife, Heidi, has the wonderful job of trimming my toenails for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, she didn't know that when I asked her to marry me. <laughs> it's one of those, ugh. Anyway, so, but this particular night, I walked out and my toenail broke. I, and I sat down and I typed a note in my phone because back then I was always looking for like sermon illustrations and I thought, ah, broken toenails. Toenails break when you fight. Because Heidi and I had been in a fight. And see, when you're in a fight with a person, you don't want them cutting your toenails. <laughs> right? I mean, it's not that I thought she would cut my toe off, but I mean, if you've ever had someone cut your toenail, that is a very humbling thing. It's a very intimate thing to say, I need you to cut my stinky toenail. And when you're fighting with somebody, usually you're not in a good place relationally with them, right? Usually it's, I don't even want to talk to you, let alone have you come over here and humble myself for you to cut my toenail. So when we fight, my toenails grow. And when we continue the fight without forgiveness, my toenails break. And so that was the little note I'd put in that I thought I might use one day in a a Bible lesson. So here y'all go. Um, But more than toenails break when we refuse to forgive, relationships break, marriages break, organizations have broken, churches have broken, and we even break in ourselves when we refuse to offer forgiveness to others. So we're in Ephesians. Um, See if I can work this thing. Oh, I got to turn it on. 
So here's, for me, personally, these are two hard reasons why, why it's hard to forgive, or two reasons why it's hard to forgive. One is entitlement, right? I'm entitled to my anger. Someone said something about me or someone did something to me and it hurt my feelings. I just realized these slides are blank. This is how I turn it in because I don't know how to do slides. So it's ugly. I'm sorry. <laughs> JB has the pretty ones. I don't. So entitlement. I'm entitled. It's like a righteous indignation, right? Someone's hurt me. Another one is justice, right? I don't want to forgive them. They deserve what's coming to them, right? It's not right to let them off the hook. I'm not letting them off my hook. And so these are two big issues we have, or at least I do. If I can boil, like if I'm dealing with something, it usually comes back to one of these two, if not both. JB on the website has a two-part series on forgiveness. And he goes in a lot of depth on Old Testament words, New Testament words, different meanings. Um, But for today, we're just going to go with the definition to release the debt. And that's where he'll, he usually arrives. But there's different nuances to the words. It could be to conceal, to hide, to lift, to carry away. But we're just going to go with release the debt. So when we're talking about forgiveness, we're just talking about releasing a debt that's owed to us. So we don't want to um, fragment the scriptures or splice this one verse. So we want to look at it in its context. Um, Ephesians can be divided into two major sections or divisions. The first is chapter 1, 2, 3. It's the theology section, and then you have the last half, which is the application. A lot of you know this from being with JB over the years. We're in the application section. This is application because this is where we get all of our imperatives, and here's how it can be broken down. Walk worthy of your calling. Walk no longer like the Gentiles or unbelievers. Walk in love. Walk as children as the light. Walk in wisdom, and then finally take your stand. So where we're going to be is in number two. Whoops. That's okay. We can keep that there. I'm getting trigger happy. Put that down. All right. So let's look at verse 17. It says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they having become callous. If you notice, all these are inner workings. These are the parts of the inner man of an unbeliever. And because of this inward condition, you see this outward conduct for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. So what Paul is saying is, don't live like these unbelievers whose contact is driven by their inward condition, right? And he says, but you did not learn Christ this way, if indeed you have heard of him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in him, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, or which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness. He's saying you don't act like them. You are different. Your inner man is to be renewed. And through the renewing of your spirit, your your mind, what happens is your outward conduct becomes like God. You become like God, righteous and holy in how you behave. And then he goes on and says, Therefore... Therefore, if you want to be like God, 
if you want to have this outward righteous behavior, which we should, he's assuming they do because they're believers, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each of you, to his neighbor. And this is a, a, a Old Testament reference to Zechariah 8.16. And in the context of that, it's to the community of believers. And that's what he's saying here. We should be loving and acting godly to everyone, but in the context there, he's talking to the church and how the church should relate to one another. And he says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In this verse, to be angry doesn't mean to be like wrathful angry. Most likely the context is that righteous indignation, that entitlement that we feel when someone's hurt us, we have this, hey, you can't do that to me. That's not right kind of anger. I think we've all been there, at least I've been there, right? And what Paul says, that's okay. Don't sin in that. In fact, before the sun goes down, make it right. Paul says it's okay to be angry when someone's done something to you, but not for long. You need to go quickly and deal with that situation or that person or that issue and as best as you can resolve it. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And he says uh, in verse 27, and do not give the devil an opportunity. And when I read this, I'm always like, an opportunity for what exactly? But as I've looked at the context there's two things that I'm left with. One is it stunts the church growth. If you look back in verse 16, really look at verse 15, he says, speaking the truth in love. That should click because he just said, verse 25, therefore, laying aside all falsehoods, speak the truth. Right? So speaking the truth in love to one another, we are to grow up, the church, in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's in love that the church is built up, not in fighting with each other. When we're fighting with each other, whether it be in the local church, whether it be in our homes, whether it be in our small groups, I don't know. When believers are at odds and there's infighting, the church is not growing and that's the first opportunity when we're not forgiving, when we're letting the sun go down and go down and go down on our anger and we're not dealing with it, what happens is it gives the devil an opportunity to come in and stunt the church's growth. So the first thing is that. And the second one, I think, is it, it diminishes the brilliance of the manifold wisdom of God. And if you go back the verse say 8 of chapter 3, Paul says this, to me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach, one, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So to bring them in to this church and to bring to light or reveal what the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, whom created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now, not later, but right now, be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. There's a lot of stuff I'd like to get into. It's like next level stuff, but we, we don't have time. But for our purposes, God has brought two groups of people who utterly hated each other. The Jews and the Gentiles could not be in the same room with each other. And God thought, I've got a great plan. I'm going to bring them to, and we're going to make a new race of people. In Ephesians, 
We're not just a church. We're not just a group. He's made us a whole new race of people who are born again. We have the Spirit of God. Nobody else does. We are a completely different race of people. We, uh, and he's brought us together, and he's called us to church, right? And this was a mystery. No one saw this coming. But if we go back to, we won't, but if you go back to chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, not only is the church a mystery, but we're part of a secret plan of God. He talks about the mystery of his will. It's the secret of his plan. And his plan is to use the church to inflict the final blow of victory on his cosmic foes, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In chapter 1, he's talking about everything is moving towards the consummation of of everything in Christ and heavens on earth. That's, we're going to, we're not, but JB's going to get into it at the very end someday, Revelation chapters 21, 22. That's the consummation of all things in heaven on earth. That is the, it's, it's not heaven. It's the new heaven and the new earth. And it's, it's better than anything we think heaven right now could be. It's, it's when evil's done away with. It's when sadness is done away with. It's when cruelty's done away with. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, he says, when we do these things, when there's infighting, stunts the church's growth, and let me say this, this is how I view the church, we're like God's scoreboard. You know, he's always pointing to us. Anytime his foes are up to whatever, he just points and smiles, and it's the scoreboard, we're winning and we're going to win. That's the final score right there. And there's nothing they can do to change the score or change the outcome. Nothing. And so they live with everything they have to diminish us and to deface us to the world. So we're God's cosmic scoreboard. And with that in mind, he says this to them. He says, the one who steals, stop stealing. Instead of stealing, why don't you start sharing, right? And to the one, in verse 29, says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it gives grace to those who hears. Unwholesome, that word means to bring rot or decay, like you would see on a building, you would see on a church. That word, edify, it means to build up. It's the exact word that is used in verse 16, the building up of the church of itself in love. So our words have the power to bring our own house down. Or our words have the power to keep this church, no, I'm not talking about Stillwater Bible, I'm talking about Big C Church, the global universal church of God from all time to the future. And so our words matter. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. So, it says, by whom you're still for the day of redemption. Another reason I mentioned earlier is justice, right? We want justice. And that's why it's hard to forgive. But when the church is not acting like the church, when we have infighting instead of forgiving, infighting instead of building ourselves up in love, and again, when I say the church, I mean just in our relationships as church people, when that's going on, like I said, it's, the church is not growing. It's not fulfilling its full capability. Um, 
but also it's because when we just want that justice so bad, we want that day of redemption today. We want the redemption now. We want this problem fixed now. Whoever wronged me, I want it made right today. And so waiting for this day of redemption is hard. But this, when we don't, when we act like fools, it grieves the spirit. It pains the spirit because the spirit's like, I am sealing you. I am protecting you through everything up until this day of redemption, this day when every wrong will be made right, when every tear will be wiped away. I am protecting you for this day when whatever is wronged in your life, whatever you've suffered will be made right on this day. But yet we say, I want that. I want it now. And that grieves the spirit. That's what I think grieving the spirit looks like. And so verse 31, here we go. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That all malice is like a cumulative summary. It means evil. All of these vices are coming from an evil place, from an inward condition of evil, not an inward condition of a renewed mind. This is what Gentiles look like, unbelievers look like, and we're to no longer walk that way. And he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So when I think of kindness, I think of God's kindness, right? Because we're to be like God. So be kind. So when I think of kindness, I think of Titus 3.4. Titus 3.4, but when the kindness of our God and Savior appeared and his love appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. It's kindness. We didn't deserve it, but he showed up anyway. And when I think of compassion, I bet a lot of you think of this one too, Lamentations 3.22, for the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. He is ever compassionate. Right? And when I think of forgiveness, I think, how could God and his holiness and justice let me off the hook? How did he forgive me? Why did he forgive me? It's not fair. And I'm just supposed to be okay with that? I'm just supposed to live how I want to live now? Because I should not have been off the hook. And in fact, I'm not off the hook. It says that God in Christ has forgiven. I, I was on the hook. Jesus came in, took me off the hook, and put himself on the hook, and took my punishment. And again, I'm just supposed to be cool with that? I'm like, yeah, thanks, man. I'm going to go do what I want to do now. And so that's why I do my very best when I'm wronged, when I'm hurt, and I have that righteous indignation, when I'm entitled to my hurt. That's why when I want justice today, I do my very best to remember this verse and the phrase, just as, just as God in Christ has forgiven me. And I think whatever debt is owed to me, it doesn't compare to the debt that I owe God. And that's something that helps me when it comes to forgiveness. Now, I don't want to be oversimplifying whatever this issue of forgiveness. Um, true, 
there are some hang-ups that we have that are petty and childish and we need to just get over it. We need to forgive and move on and just get back to the business of what the church is here to do. But there's also some, some really tough grievances, some really horrible things that people have gone through. And, and for me to say, be like God, release the debt, it's just not going to cut it for some people. Some people have been truly hurt, truly hurt by people they trusted. There's, there's people who've been harmed as children or teenagers or even young adults, and the story of their life has been dictated by that hurt, and they've never known. They, today, they're sitting in our church or maybe in the next hour, and they don't realize that that hurt is what is dictating their life, and it's why it's so hard to forgive because they've never processed what has happened to them and what has been taken from them. And so forgiveness for those people is going to be a long process of grieving and processing, like I said, what's taken place to them and what's been taken from them. But as we wrap up, I'm going to do an, we're not going to do the exercise now, but I'm going to teach you it. Um, so something I do, and I've, I've done this, I can't remember who I stole it from, but... Um, what a good thing to do to practice when you're having a tough time forgiving someone is get a piece of paper, write out who's harmed you, who's offended you, write the exact offense, and write what they owe you. You say, I'm not going to be good until they do this or this to make it right. Then ask yourself, if I go to that person, will they do this? Or if I go to that person, is it even possible for them to do this? Maybe... Maybe they've passed on, and that person's no longer. So if they can't or they won't repay the debt, then you have to start moving towards letting it go. You have to start moving towards releasing it and moving on to freedom in your life. Remembering that there is a day of redemption coming, and it will be made right eventually. You have to trust God for it, you have to entrust your situation to God for it, and you have to entrust the person involved, entrust them to God. So, some things. Maybe we need to try making this list. Maybe this would be a good exercise for some of us. Number two, like I mentioned, some people have tremendous amount of trauma. Just horrible things have happened, and they're hiding it. I'd say if that's you and you've never talked to someone, find a grief or trauma counselor and start working through it, start processing it, because you're never going to get to that place where you're going to be able to let it go until you figure out what has happened to you in the first place. And then call the office. <laughs> JB has been doing this for decades. I know he's had a bajillion conversations with people on this very issue of forgiveness. And if you're just like, hey, I've got an issue maybe with a mom on this Mother's Day or maybe with a dad or a sibling or somebody, a coworker, and you're just wondering, how do, how do I get this thing going? How do I move this process forward towards forgiveness? Call the office and get that going. Just talking to someone is the best way to make it happen. Nothing can keep you from enjoying the day of redemption that we're all sealed and protected for 
but refusing to forgive, or at least refusing to walk down that process of trying to forgive, will rob you of joy this day. And that's why, among many reasons, God says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you.